Let us pray. Father, as we are uh, tackling the subject of prayers that seem unanswered this morning, we pray that we will hear your voice, feel your touch, your prompting on our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder, have you sometimes prayed for things that didn't happen? I think you have. I wonder how you felt. I've heard people say things like, God's not listening. God doesn't care. Even God just isn't there. I expect all of us have prayed for things that didn't come about and maybe wrestled with uh, possible explanations of that. I know that uh, in my life I can think of, uh, I find myself thinking of people I've prayed for to uh, find faith. I think of somebody I'm praying for at the moment and I've been doing so for years and it doesn't seem to be having an answer. But even as I say that, I think of somebody else I prayed for for about ooh, 25, 30 years every day. And eventually, uh, they acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Doesn't happen in our time scale. Think about my own prayers for my own sinfulness. Uh, some of you know that one of the constant battles that I face is about expressing well, temper with other drivers and that sort of thing. Um, and that might seem small, but I know it's something within me that isn't what God wants it to be. And I pray for it often, and it's still a battle that I face. I wonder how many of you have got something you pray for within that's a battle you face and will still continue to be. As we end our series on prayer, I want us to look at today prayers which seem unanswered. Uh, you might see there's quote marks on the unanswered prayers on the picture that's there. And to do so, I want to unpack our two Bible readings today from uh, Psalm 13 and that uh, little snippet we had from uh, Mark 4, in the, Mark 14 even, in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. And what I want us to do is to uh, learn three things from each of those two passages. So let's get started with our first passage. Uh, do have a, do uh, get, uh, open your Bibles at page 631. And uh, well, we'll look at uh, uh, Psalm 13. Three things I want us to learn from this psalm. Uh, the first thing is that God wants us to be honest in our prayers. Honest in our prayers. The Psalms was the hymn book of Old Testament Israel. And yet, if you look at it, it includes lots of things which are really mostly lament uh, about things that aren't. Psalm 13, the first two-thirds of it 
is all about how long, oh Lord, are you going to let things go on like this? It's only when the end, he comes to, when, the, when the writer comes to the end that the message has changed that. Incidentally, you might compare the Psalms with some of our modern hymn books. I have never come across a hymn book or an online music resource or anything like that that uh, has such a high proportion of laments as do the Psalms. But actually, I think that should teach us something. Uh, the Psalmists were honest and they were open about the questions they faced. It's something I often say at funerals. Sometimes uh, a death leaves us with lots of questions. But actually the Psalms particularly are full of questions and we need to wrestle with those and find some answers. Of course, the scriptures also offer answers. The issue of suffering comes up often actually in scripture and I think of all the things that people say to me, the objections to uh, the existence of God and so on, uh, things that are related to the issue of suffering are probably top of the hip parade. Uh, uh, theologians would refer to, refer to it as the issue of theodicy, how we can believe in God in the middle of all sorts of things. I've got, uh, I, actually I have uh, just, just here on the lectern, I, I, I've got a book, How Long, O Lord, uh, by Don Carson. How Long, O Lord, and it's called, the subtext is Reflections on Suffering and Evil. If you want to borrow this, then I'll just leave it here. It's, that it's, it's, it's worth thinking about um, uh, God's answer to those big questions. So that's the first thing to learn from Psalm 13, to be honest uh, with God. The second thing is that when God is silent, it does not mean that God is absent. In verse 5, the psalmist realizes that he can still trust God even when he doesn't understand what God is up to. I'll, I'll just read verse 5. But, bear in mind the first two-thirds of the psalm has all been about things that aren't what they might be. The next word is but. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Psalm 30, uh, verse 5, says something related. actually says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. This week, some of us have uh, um, attended the, uh, the convention mornings uh, where Adrian Reynolds has taken us uh, through Ephesians 1, looking at spiritual contentment and the many reasons that we can trust God, the many reasons that we should Trust God. So even when all sorts of things are going to wrong, wrong, that word but, but I'm going to trust God is important. When God is silent, it does not mean that God is absent. 
That's the second thing from Psalm 13. The, uh, the, the third, the last, is this. And actually it's from uh, verse 6 of Psalm 13. So, so I'll, I'll read that too. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. God has shown himself trustworthy in the past, so he will be again in the future. We can be confident that the same God who has shown himself in the past will show himself again in the future. Some of you will have interviewed people for, for jobs. Interviewers, many of them, know the saying that the best predictor of future performance is past performance. Verse 6, what it does is remind us that God has a really impressive track record. That's in the past, yes, but it also means that we can trust him with our future. Corrie ten Boom, and of course a lot of bad stuff happened in her life, but she used to talk about how we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future, and he's good. We can trust him. That's the third thing I want to take from Psalm 13. I said there were three, but I said there are three more from Mark 14. So uh, do uh, flick over in your Bibles, so on page 1178. Uh, Mark 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first thing I want to draw out from this, uh, can we have our next picture? The first thing is that Jesus leans in to the close, the intimate relationship that he has with his father. Look at verse 36. Abba, Father, he said. That's how he prays. It's an intimate word, Abba. It carries something, some people think, well, it's daddy, but it, it's more than the childish uh, aspect of that. It's... Um, some people might, might just use the word dad or something, something like that, something close. Jesus is troubled and distressed. Look at verse 33. It says he's distressed, he's troubled. He's, he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's at that lowest possible ebb. But at that place, he trusts in his Abba. He trusts in his Father. Everything is possible for you, he says. Jesus leans in to that closeness of relationship with his Heavenly Father. He spelled out in John's Gospel on several occasions, actually, how close that relationship was and how something of how people, if people had seen the Son, they'd seen the Father because the character Overlap. The character was so much uh, together. He also said, we can share that closeness too. So we can pray as Jesus did, Abba, Father. How does he start when he teaches the Lord's Prayer? Our Father. That's how we're to regard God. That's how he starts. 
But what he says, he doesn't quite get. Second thing we can learn from this piece of Mark 14 is that even Jesus received an answer to prayer that he didn't want, that was hard to hear. The Bible is very clear. James 4 says this. He says sometimes we don't get the things we answer because we ask with the wrong motives. But Jesus' prayer wasn't like that. He was overwhelmed with sorrow. He was asking his father for help. Take this cup from me, he said. But Jesus had already predicted three times, actually. Just, I want to flick back. He done it in Mark 8. He did it again in Mark 9. He did it again in Mark 10. He predicted uh, how his life was going to end, that he was going to be crucified. He knew in his heart of hearts where things would end up. But still, when faced with the reality of it all, he was asking his dad if there was any other way out. He said, take this cup from me. Actually, we're going to have communion in a little while. The reason why we can have this cup of blessing is because Jesus drank the cup of wrath. He drank, drank it to the dregs. Uh, he endured the cup that was given to him. And that's why we can have all the blessings that we do. He knew that he was going to die. But it's natural that the night before he wobbled a bit. But his dad's plan was the important thing. Even though it meant that the answer to this prayer was not what Jesus was asking for. That's the second thing we can learn from Mark 14. The third thing I want us to learn from Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane is the way he prays, and it's on the screen. In verse 36 he says, Yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus taught your will be done. That's in the Lord's Prayer. And he lived the uh, your will be done. That's in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's exactly what he said. I love the provisionality, really, in the way Jesus asks for things. He says what he would like, but he submits to his Father's will. He doesn't tell his father what to do. He humbly asks if there's another way. And when Jesus got that answer that was hard to hear, he was willing to say okay and willing to go to the cross because he knew that it was God's will. We too need to subject what we might prefer and what would make us more comfortable and so on, we need to subject those things to God. Not our will, but his be done. So that's three things from Psalm 13 and three things 
from Mark 14. Be honest, keep trusting, remember God's track record, get close to God, be willing to hear tough answers and be willing to say your will, not ours, be done. That's um, some things from these, uh, these passages of Scripture, but I wonder where it leaves us with our prayers. So I want to end with, uh, with this. Some answers to prayers are miraculous and instant. I've even had the experience sometimes, I, maybe you have too, of, uh, of praying for something, and before I've even closed my mouth, before I've even said amen, uh, I've looked up and seen an answer to that prayer. It's amazing when that happens. Some answers to prayer are much lower key and take longer. Sometimes we can't even discern uh, an answer to prayer at all. As we end our series on the Holy Spirit and the power of prayer, I want to remind you that prayer is an essential part of our relationship with God. Communications are vital, of course, for any, any relationship. Think of your relationships for a minute, with your, maybe with your family or your friends, those at work, those at church, and so on. If we never spoke to these people, if we never listened to their answers, then those relationships would not prosper. So I'm sure God wants us to keep praying. And by God's grace, we'll see our relationship with him prosper and thrive. With that in mind, let's pray right now. Father God, thank you that you hear and you answer prayer. Thank you that you want us to be honest with you. Thank you that you want us to trust in you. Thank you that you have such an amazing, a great track record. Jesus teaches and also shows us how to pray. We're sorry for the times when we've prayed as if we knew better than you. For the times when we've gone through the motions of praying without being close to you. Help us to learn how to pray from Jesus' words and from Jesus' actions. In his name we pray. Amen.